you were born pre-packed. God looked at your entire life, determined your assignment, and gave you the tools to do the job before you. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. Even though we were pre-packed, something happened along the way. When we opened up our bag and looked in, we discovered some things that did not belong in there. Things that are not good for us to be carrying around. Their presence are affecting the good that God has pre-packed for us. In this series, we'll be diving into God's Word to identify some of the unhealthy things in our bags that need to be unpacked. We hope you enjoy. All right. Whew. Made it. So, uh, we're on week three in this series of Unpack. And uh, as a child, I was very fortunate that I got to know my grandparents pretty well. And on my mom's side, not only did I get to know my grandparents, but I also got to know my great-grandparents. And so my great-grandparents were George and Myra Emsley, and they lived about a half a mile from our house. Matter of fact, they lived right in between uh, our house and my elementary school. And so what happened is each day, uh, my next-door neighbor, Howard Green, and I would get up, and we would walk to Bertrand Elementary School. And after school, I would go to their house until one of my parents picked me up. And so I remember going over there all the time. And I just loved spending time with my great-grandparents. And so I feel very, very fortunate to have gotten to know them. Like my grandpa, he wasn't a man of many words. And so what I remember about him is whenever we had family events, my grandfather had really strong hands. And so like everybody in the family would come to him to get like a back massage. And, and I don't know if he had any training in this, but like, I feel like my, my grandpa was like doing chiropractic stuff on, on people before I even heard and knew what that was, okay? And my great-grandma and I, we spent a lot of time playing cards together. And, and so I think that's one of the reasons why I always like playing card games um, is because I grew up playing concentration and go fish with my great-grandmother. And I'll challenge any one of you to a game of concentration or go fish because my great-grandma taught me well. Okay, and so I loved playing games with her and spending time with her. Uh, my great-grandparents' house, they had one toy box, okay? They had one toy box, and in that toy box, my, my great-grandfather had worked at a lumber yard, and so in that toy box, there was a bunch of wood that he had cut into blocks. There were a few Hot Wheels, and there was a rotary phone. Okay, now I don't know where the rotary phone came in. I don't know why that ended up in the box, but let me tell you, every generation of grandkids played with that rotary phone. So that's what we did. That's what we had. Blocks, a couple of Hot Wheels, and a rotary phone. And and so I remember going there after school. My grandma would give me a vitamin C. She'd also make me a bologna sandwich, okay? If any of you have ever been to a great-grandparent's house, you probably had a bologna sandwich, okay? Oscar Mayer bologna. I don't think I've had bologna in 40 years now, thank God. But used to always get that. I never saw my great-grandmother make a sandwich that wasn't a bologna sandwich. So anyway, my, my Uncle Dean was in the Air Force. And so from time to time, when he was overseas, my great-grandfather would write him letters. And they weren't really letters. What my great-grandfather would write him is he would, he would really write him Bible studies. And so one of the cool things for me is just growing up with my great-grandparents and, and knowing that they were godly people and the faith that they tried to pass down. And so one of the great things that my Uncle Dean has done, and I really, really appreciate this, is over the years, he has taken those letters 
that my, that my great-grandfather wrote him, and he has typed them out and emailed them out to the rest of the family. And so as someone who was young, it's so interesting for me to be able to read the insights of my great-grandfather about the Bible. Now, I'd love to be able to ask him some questions, you know, but I love being able to read that. And so it was really cool. Uh, so my great-grandfather would write pages of these Bible studies for my uncle. And then right at the end, my great-grandmother would get on there and say, my mom's name is Joan. And so my great-grandmother would get right at the very end of the letter, she'd write something personal. Went to Joni's house today. Boy, her kids are terrible. You know, something like that. You know, she'd write something, you know, really, you know, like that after my grandpa's long Bible study. So I, I feel so fortunate, like I said, to have gotten to know them. And um, my, my great-grandmother was a wonderful, wonderful woman, but I do remember a flaw that she had. My great-grandmother was a tremendous warrior, okay? Not, not, just, not just a little warrior. She was a tremendous. She was a warrior warrior, okay? Like she was really good at it, and she worked at it. And so my great-grandmother was a warrior, which then my grandmother was a warrior, Okay, she grew up in my great-grandma's house, and she was a warrior, and so the two of them together were quite something. Okay? And to my amazement, and I don't know how my mom did it, but my, my great-grandma was a warrior, my grandma was a warrior, and somehow my mom went the other direction. I think my mom at some point had to have made a choice to say, you know what, that isn't how I'm going to live. I am not going to be a warrior. And so I, I remember just family get-togethers where the worry of my grandparents caused so much stress, okay? And so I remember my mom being different, and I was a lot like my mom. I just don't care, okay? Like, I don't worry about anything. Matter of fact, the people in my life wish I worried about some things a little more than I do. But worry isn't, just, it just isn't part of who I am. And yet, throughout the course of my adult life, there have been a few moments that have challenged me as a non-worrier. Uh, almost 12 years ago to this date, I got laid off from working at our very church here at West Valley. And uh, I remember, I, and I don't know if he actually said this or not. Ronald Reagan is given the credit for this quote. I don't know if he said it or not. He said, the difference between a recession and a depression is a recession is when your neighbor loses his job. A depression is when you lose yours. And so 12 years ago, my family, we went through a depression. That caused a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of worry. But even before that, the first thing that challenged my worry was, to be honest with you, just having kids, man. Just having kids challenged my life as a non-worrier because they change everything. I wrote in my sermon that they affect your sleep. But the truth is they ruin your sleep. Okay, they empty your wallet, and they radically alter your priorities and your plans. Okay, that's, that's just the facts. And so in general, I'm not a worrier, but, but i got to be honest, over the years, because of my children, I've spent a lot of time worrying about them. Even now as adults, I still have, have times where I'm worried about them. So my, my youngest son, you may know, is my youngest son, six months ago, it'll be six months on Wednesday, he got hired by Southern California Edison. And so he, he's been working up there, and during this time, basically during the first six-month probationary period, they can decide to get rid of you just because they don't like the way you look, okay? You look at the wrong person funny, and you're out. And so for six months now, he's been just going to work, putting his head down, doing what he needs to do, and not messing around, okay? You know, if they call for overtime, it's yes, sir, yes, ma'am. 
They tell them to do something. It's like, okay, I'm doing it, okay? Until about three months ago, there, and then he had a little incident. He was driving a big old truck, and he went to park this truck, and he didn't see this big old tree branch that was sticking out, and he ran the truck into the tree branch. And so he's all nervous, and he's calling us, and we're talking to him. He's like, well, what's going to happen? He's like, well, I'm going to probably have to meet with so-and-so. And so he had a big old meeting with several supervisors and basically said, don't do that again, okay? And so everything was fine. And then a month ago, I'm minding my own business, working in my garage, cleaning things up. And a month, or a month, a month after that, I'm sorry, this was in July, Tim sends us, sends Christine and I a text message with this picture. Okay, now you can't see that picture very well. But let me tell you what's going on in that picture. On the far left side of that picture, there's a stack of four switches that are standing on top of each other. My son and another guy were placing them like that with forklifts in those stacks of four. You may not be able to tell, but on the ground, you can see a couple of them looking like they should not be. Okay? They are not stacked neatly. As a matter of fact, they're sideways laying on the ground. And you really can't see this very well in this picture, but you see the trees in the background? Well, if you could see it on my phone, you would see that there is a, a, a piece of wood with one of these switches that rolled all the way down to that tree area. And when he sends us this picture, I will not repeat the words that he used, but basically when he sent this picture, he just basically said to us, I'm really in trouble now. Okay? So he sends us this picture, I'm really in trouble now. I'm sitting in the garage, minding my own business, having a great day, going through baseball cards and listening to Tim McGraw, and that's over. Okay, because all of a sudden I am in a panic. I'm like, oh man, he's done for. He's done for. He's over. Just pack him up and move him home. Here he comes. He's going to be jobless and living in his old room again real soon. And I love both of our sons, but I've gotten quite used to them not living with us. Okay, I appreciate the fact that they have grown up and they have gone. And though they could always come home, I'm always, I'm always happy for them to leave. Okay, and so in this moment, I'm so worried. I'm like, oh no. He's going to get fired. It's going to be so sad. He's going to be so upset. This is going to be terrible. And now he's going to come live in my house, and he's going to just infect me with this, you know. And I'm like, oh, no, this is so terrible. Ten minutes later, he sends another text. Because we're sending a text. What happened? What happened? You know, all this stuff. He sends another text. LOL. I'm kidding. It was someone else. Now, listen, it's all well and good now, but I'm not kidding you. For 10 minutes, I was panicking. And I sent him a text back saying, Tim, you can't do that stuff, man. Your mom and I are going to have a heart attack if you do stuff like that. And so honestly, once you have kids, it's hard not to be a worrier. Okay, please take that picture away. It causes me a little bit of panic even just seeing it now. There you go. And, and so today we're on week three of this series, Unpack. And... Um, and well, we'll get to this stuff up here later. But, so we're going to be looking at a passage today that's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember last summer, last summer we spent eight weeks going through the Beatitudes. And that was just such a great, great sermon series. And so we're in Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bible. And this is like, the Sermon on the Mount is like an extended time of teaching for Jesus. It's like the longest time of, of unbroken teaching that we have from him. And so in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 25. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 25. And this is such an awesome passage of Scripture. Like, honestly, these last couple of weeks as I was thinking about today's sermon, I was like, could I just read this three or four times and then just go sit down? 
because I'm not going to be able to improve on the words of Jesus. Okay, I'm not going to be able to tell you anything better than what Jesus is saying here. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much, are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What a great section of Scripture right there. And the first thing I want you to notice, you have a bulletin, you have it there. If you're taking notes, you can just write this down. Jesus tells us not to worry. Jesus tells us not to worry. You know, as people come into our offices, whether it's my office, Pastor, I've been in their, out of their staff's offices for any kind of counseling. We try to be diplomatic in the way we, you know, say things. Like we try to be gentle about the way we say things for the most part. But Jesus doesn't seem to have to worry about that. Because the reality is Jesus just comes out and he's frank with us. He says, hey man, don't worry. Stop worrying about the things you're worrying about. He doesn't play around. He doesn't have to worry about being diplomatic. And so as you think about his words of not to worry, then I think of Paul. Paul in Philippians 4 verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Jesus tells us not to worry. Paul tells us do not be anxious about anything. And then Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Cast all your anxiety on him. Now, I, don't, I took Greek 30-something years ago, okay? So I don't remember really very much about the Greek language, but I do know how to look things up, okay? And these three words that are used here, the words of Jesus, Paul, and Peter, that's the same word. That it has the same meaning. We'll get back to it in a second. But Paul and Peter are saying, hey, listen, take those things that are causing you stress and lay them down at Jesus, for, lay them down at the Father's feet. Paul was saying, listen, pray about it. Okay, it's not just a, a pat answer. That's really the truth. When we're stressed, we need to be praying about things and giving them over to him. And then Peter said, cast all your anxiety. It's like throw it away. Throw it away and give it to him. And why can we give it to him? Because he can handle it. The things that we're trying to carry, the things that are causing us anxiety, we can't carry them. But he is able to carry them. And so that same word that Jesus, Peter, and Paul all use, the word means this, is care that brings disruption to the personality and to the mind. 
care that brings disruption to the personality and to the mind. And so when I read that, I read worry and anxiety, it messes with who we are, and it messes with how we think. Okay, and so that's why Jesus said, hey man, just don't do it. And it's interesting, like I said, who am I to argue with them? But they seem to be able to say it just matter-of-factly. But this is what I want you to hear. As much as they're saying that, as much as I would say it to you too, do not worry, I want to be really careful and sensitive this morning. Because there might be people sitting here, there might be people listening that really struggle with worry and anxiety. You know, what I want to do to encourage you is say, you know what, don't try to handle that on your own. Don't try to keep it inside to yourself. If that's a struggle that you are having right now, you need to talk to somebody. You need to talk to a family member. You need to talk to a trusted friend. You need to make an appointment with one of the pastors here. You might even need to go see a professional counselor, and there is nothing wrong with that. If you're sitting here today saying, man, I am stressed out, I am worried, and I can't seem to handle this, and you're like, I need to talk to somebody more, then do that. Don't try to handle it all on your own. And so Jesus is saying, don't do it. But man, that's hard sometimes, isn't it? Don't worry. And one of the reasons why Jesus says that is point number two is this, is the reality is worry does nothing for us. We aren't accomplishing anything with our worry. As a matter of fact, quite often our worry, our anxiousness, paralyzes us from doing what needs to get done. Like sometimes we're so worried and we're so anxious, we're not able to do what, what, we, what we need to do. And that's why Jesus says, who of you by worrying could add a single hour to his life? We can't do anything. Like worrying accomplishes nothing. It does nothing for us. And so, like I was thinking about this week, it's like for, for all of us. Let's just pretend you have a, a, a work project that you've been working on. And tomorrow's the day that you've got to share it with your boss and the boss's boss and all these people. And so you have this presentation and you've worked hard on this presentation. And so you've thought about it, you've studied it, you've done the work, but you're worrying about it. You're worried about it because you're like, well, did I do enough? And, and you're worried about, am I ready to present it to them? And you're worried about, like, what am I going to wear? You know, like, what is my outfit of choice going to be for this big presentation? You know, I want to look right. I want to look presentable. And so all night long, instead of sleeping, you're laying in your bed and you're rolling around and you're stressing out about all these things, all these things in your mind. Well, guess what? When you wake up the next morning, you are not ready to do a good job giving a presentation because you are not well rested and your mind is still jumbled. And you may or may not do a good job, but you have not set yourself up for success. And that's what we do when we're sitting there holding on to worry and anxiety. So this week, um, Christina and I had the house or, or the roof of our house replaced. All right, we've lived in our house for 22 years. When I bought the house, I looked at the roof, and I said, boy, that doesn't look very good. We're going to have to get that replaced. 22 years. It lasted 22 years, okay? So I feel like we did pretty good with it, okay? And so we're getting ready to have the roof replaced, and I knew it was going to be expensive, and so when it was expensive, I'm like, all right, it's just the way it is. We have to have a good roof, all right? And so then I'm having a conversation with one of my buddies last weekend, and he says to me, just a couple of words, he said, well, what about, what about if there's rotten wood underneath there? Come on, man. I was doing so good. Like, I had accepted the fact that it was going to cost me a lot of money. But, you know, the problem is my house is 70 years old. 
So the idea of there being bad wood under my roof is a very real possibility. And so then on Sunday night, last Sunday night, I'm laying in bed worrying about the wood of my house. And I'm sitting there thinking about, boy, isn't that ironic? Because you're preaching on worry next Sunday. Well, what do you need to do differently? And the reality is I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, that's a better word, I'm thinking about it, okay? I'm thinking about it, and all of a sudden it hits me. I'm like, well, listen, it is what it is. Either the wood is good or the wood is bad, and me staying awake all night thinking about it isn't going to change anything. And I'm like, I need to just forget about this. All right, Lord, you know what's going on. You know whether that wood is all good and going to be fine, or if it's all bad and it's all going to need to be replaced. You know, it's fine. It, It just has to be okay. And so just a week ago, I'm thinking about these things. And I'm thinking to myself, listen, you know the sermon that you're preaching next week. Jesus tells you not to worry like this. And guess what? He also is telling you it doesn't do anything for you. And that's true. And so points three and four, I wrote them together in my sermon notes because they go together. Because not only should we not worry because it doesn't do anything for us, but we need to replace our worry with trust. We need to replace our worry with trust. Now, not trust in somebody else, but trust in him. We need to replace our worry with trust in him. Because that passage talks about, like he knows He takes care of the birds of the field and the lilies of the field. He's going to take care of us too. We need to trust him. And then instead of worrying about that stuff, we need to be seeking his will first. And and so if I could summarize what Jesus, Paul, and Peter are saying about worry, they would say, don't do it. And it's very easy to write that and to say that, but it's very different to live that out. And so I was actually thinking about each one of them in their lives. And guess what? Each one of them faced a situation or many situations that would cause them to potentially worry. And you see how the three of them did something different. Okay, so Jesus, in Matthew chapter 26, he's getting ready. He's he's getting arrested. He's getting ready to, to, to go to the cross for us, to pay the price for us. And he's praying and it says in Matthew 26, 38, that says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus was a little bit apprehensive about what was coming his way. And yet in the midst of his prayers, in the midst of that concern, it also tells us that three times as he's praying, he says, Not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus isn't just saying, Don't worry. Jesus isn't just saying you can't add an hour to your life. Each day's got enough worry of its own. Like, he's lived that out. And he's telling us, like verse 33 of Matthew 6 says, but to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So not only did Jesus practice what he preached, but I thought about Peter. Peter in Acts chapter 5, some of the apostles, they're arrested and they're beaten and they're thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, and they're told not to do it. And he says, hey, listen, we're going to do it. Okay, But then later on, in in Acts chapter 12, uh, Peter is arrested again for doing nothing more than preaching the gospel. All right, And and they've already put one of the disciples to death, and I think Herod saw that, that the people appreciated that. Let's do it again. And so they arrest Peter. They put him in prison. He's laying there in between two guards. He's chained to these two guards, and in the middle of the night, what do we find Peter doing? Now, if you were in prison, if you you knew the next day there was going to be a sham trial, and you were probably going to be killed, would you, what would you be doing in the middle of the night in that jail cell? Don't tell me. Just think about it. 
Because when we read about Peter, Acts chapter 12, verse 6 says, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. That little part there where it just says Peter was sleeping tells me everything I need to know about him and his faith and his trust, his trust in his heavenly Father. Because I believe that he was trusting him, saying, Well, I believe God can get me out of this. And I also believe that if he doesn't, I'm still going to choose to trust him, and he has something better in store for me in the future. And so we have Jesus living out what he says. We have Peter as an example. And then I also think of Paul. Later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, we don't have time to read it all, but in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are thrown in prison because they have healed a girl or cast out a demon out of a girl. It seems like a real crime, okay? And they're thrown in prison, and the people are unhappy with them. And we don't read, do we read that they're in the jail, and they're whining, they're complaining, they're bickering? They're saying, God, why did you let this happen to us? That's not what we read. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them as well. So the same guy who said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, is faced with a difficult situation, and he's not doing what maybe you and I would be doing, but he is sitting there, he is singing, and he is praying to God. And so the point is this, Peter, Paul, and Jesus, most importantly, have all told us not to worry, but they have also given us the example of them going through difficult, stressful, anxiety-causing times and living out the very words that they said for us to do. And so as an example for us as people to be like that as well. And so we need to remember that Jesus, Peter, and Paul tell us not to worry. That worry does nothing for us. That we need to replace our worry with trust. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And that we need to seek God's will first. So you may or may not have noticed I carried a little something up here with me today, okay? And I, and I carried these things on purpose because, so 10 days ago, uh, about 30 of us men left on a golf retreat, okay? Palm Springs, it was like the greatest weather in the history of our golf retreat. It never got over 100. It was wonderful. But what I brought up here on the stage represented everything I brought on this golf retreat. Now, what you need to know is this golf retreat is a 48-hour event, Okay, and yet this is how I packed, all right? And so, you know, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Rob got up here and was like mocking some poor kid who packed too much on a missions trip, and I'm sitting there going, I take that personal, okay? Because I am an overpacker and I don't apologize, okay? So let me explain. So, so this bag, this bag has all my golf balls in it, okay? I'm a bad golfer. I need a lot of golf balls, Okay? And, uh, and I would do what you're thinking is, John, you've got a golf bag right there. And I would put them in my golf bag, but my dog ate a hole in my golf bag, okay? My dog ate a hole in my golf bag right where I put the golf balls. And so I got my golf bag over here, got my golf balls right here. So I had to carry both of those, all right? Here's my suitcase. Now, I'm going to tell you, I brought enough clothes for everything, but I'm just going to tell you this much. You don't need to know the, the dirty details. It's a two-day event. I brought eight college shirts, Okay? It's hot when you're golfing in Palm Springs. You need extra clothes. I brought eight 
collared shirts, and enough of everything else as well. Now, you might be wondering what this bag is for. This is my emergency bag. Okay, now you might be thinking, John, you already packed enough for an emergency. This is my emergency bag. It stayed in the trunk of my car. It had a full change of clothes and a towel in it, okay, because you never know what might happen. All right? And then I also had this backpack. This backpack is where I have my book that I've been reading, my, gla- my glasses, and then any random stuff that I remembered at the very last minute, okay? Now, I appreciate you guys keeping control of yourselves this service. First service was very raucous, okay? But Pastor Rob was sitting right up here in first service, and, and he didn't say anything, but he was mocking me in the front row, all right? He was rolling his eyes. He was laughing at me. He was hemming and hawing. He was turning sideways and all this stuff. Let me tell you a little something about Pastor Rob Denton. Friday night at the golf retreat, we're at dinner. I start getting text messages from Cynthia and Jackie. I'm like, well, that's odd. Why am I getting text messages from Cynthia and Jackie? Well, it's because Pastor Rob's phone is dead. Why is Pastor Rob's phone dead? Because he forgot his phone charger. (laughs) We have a similar phone. Hey, John, can I borrow your phone charger? Sure. Now, I wasn't going to tell you guys this, but when he mocked me in first service, gloves are off, man. Not only did I have a charger that he could borrow, I brought two of them. And so he was able to take that second charger to his room and charge up his phone without anyone being inconvenienced. Okay? Now, the point, you're like, what's the point? Okay, here's the point. Okay, now, number one, also, let me tell you this much. I appreciate a guy named Bertie Sadow. He invented wheels on suitcases. Greatest man ever. Okay? I really appreciate him because if I had to carry my luggage, I would pack lighter. But since it rolls, I don't need to. But here's the reality. What does it matter? Like some of you right now are judging me. Okay? You're judging me about the way I packed for my golf retreat. Who cares? What does it matter how I pack for my vacation? As long as I'm the one carrying all my stuff, and I'm not asking you all to carry it for me, what does it matter? If I go with just a backpack, or if I go with all of this stuff, it has no effect on anybody else. But the reality is this, and and the illustration is this. For us in our lives, and it's true for all these subjects that we talked about the last three weeks, for some of us, we're burdened, and we're carrying things on our back like this backpack. There are burdens that we're carrying every single day, struggles that we're carrying every single day, some of you today, we're talking about worry. Some of you are worried, and you've got a bag like this that's full of stuff. I almost filled this with a couple of medicine balls, and I was going to hold and I thought that was stupid. Why would I do that to myself? Okay? But the reality is, some of you are struggling with worry, and you've got a bag full of worry that you're holding with you every day. So it's all fun and games when I'm weighted down with stuff because of my vacation. But many of us are weighted down each and every day because of the stresses of our life and the worry of our life. And we're going through life carrying all this stuff with us. And it's, and it's not good for us. And it's holding us back. And what does God want us to do? Okay? He, he wants us to take these things, all these things, everything they represent, and give them over to him. And so that's my encouragement, really, for any of you that are here today that are really struggling with worry and anxiety. I, I wish I could just say a couple of words and fix it, but I really can't. But my encouragement to you would be to realize that you don't have to carry all that stuff. And like Peter challenged us to do, is to cast that, all that anxiety on him. Just throw it to him, because God is big enough to carry it.
God is big enough to hold it all for you. Let's pray. Father, just thank you so much for your love, for your care, your concern for your children. And, and Lord, I do pray. Lord, I do pray for, for anyone here, Lord, that is weighted down by worry and anxiety, by burden, by unrest, the things we've talked about the last three weeks. And I pray that they would see that there is hope in you, that they would see that there's hope in just giving those things over to you and, and then seeking your kingdom and your righteousness instead of seeking the things of, of this world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would come alongside those people. I pray you would help us to be an encouragement and a support as well. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day.